Section 124, Introduction. Here is a historical note to keep in mind as we proceed to this next section. When Governor Lilburn W. Boggs of Missouri issued his notorious extermination proclamation, his commanders of the state militia were instructed to execute the governor's order in the following manner. First, arrest Joseph Smith and the Mormon leaders as military prisoners. Have them tried in a military court-martial and executed. Number two, require the Mormons to surrender all of their arms. Number three, seize the property of the Mormons to compensate for the full cost of the Mormon evacuation. Number four, the state militia will then be responsible for the compulsory eviction or extermination of the entire Mormon population. Now it will be recalled that Colonel George M. Hinkle was the commander in charge of protecting the saints at Far West. However, he had secretly apostatized and collaborated with the governor's state militia. By pretending that he was arranging a conference between the Prophet Joseph and the leaders of the church and the leaders of the militia, Joseph Smith and the leaders of the church found themselves being turned over to Commander Samuel D. Lucas, who treated them roughly as though they had been placed under formal arrest. Later, John B. Clark, the governor commander-in-chief of the state militia, subjected Joseph Smith and the other church leaders to a military court-martial and sentenced them to be shot the next morning. However, when General Alexander W. Donovan was ordered to carry out the execution, he defiantly refused. He was a lawyer, and he knew the Mormon leaders could not be treated as military prisoners, but had to be tried in a civilian court. He therefore declared, quote, It is cold-blooded murder. I will not obey your orders, and if you execute these men... I will hold you responsible before an earthly tribunal, so help me God, unquote. And this is quoted in Grant, The Kingdom of God Restored, pages 239 to 240. This unexpected defiance of General Donovan upset everything. General Clark sent an assistant clear up to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas to check the statute books to see whether Joseph Smith and his associates could be tried in a military tribunal rather than be turned over to the civilian authorities. General Donovan turned out to be right, and Clark was compelled to admit that Joseph Smith and his associates would not be treated as military prisoners. They were entitled to receive a civil trial. However, when the Mormon leaders were given a hearing in a civilian court, it was a farce. Anyone who testified in favor of the Mormons was arrested as an accomplice and thrown into prison with the Mormon leaders. The prophet and his associates, together with 50 other defendants, were all sent to the prison in Richmond, Missouri. It was in this jail that Joseph had to listen to the guards describing how they had robbed, ravaged, and looted the saints. They even boasted of the women and girls who were forcibly ravished. Parley P. Pratt was there, and he says the prophet suddenly rose to his feet and in a passionate rage spoke with a voice of thunder. Quote, 
Silence, ye fiends of the infernal pit, in the name of Jesus Christ I rebuke you and command you to be still. I will not listen another minute to hear such language. Cease such talk, or you or I die this instant. Unquote. The brutal guards cowered before him, Parley P. Pratt concludes. Quote, I have tried to conceive of kings of royal courts, of thrones and crowns, and of emperors assembled to decide the fate of kingdoms, but dignity and majesty have I seen but once, as it stood in chains at midnight in a dungeon in an obscure village of Missouri. This is Parley P. Pratt's autobiography, pages 22 to 30. Subsequently, the governor determined to make an example of Joseph and six other leaders by moving them to a cold, dismal jail in Missouri, a town which had the ironical name of Liberty. While in chains, Sidney Rigdon suffered from convulsions and brain fever. The judge finally allowed Sidney Rigdon's friends to make bail for him, and he was then transported to Quincy, Illinois, where he gradually recovered. This is described in Parley P. Pratt's biography, page 240. We have already discussed the many months during which Joseph and the other church leaders continued to suffer in Liberty Jail. In fact, Joseph's only comfort was the three revelations we have previously covered. Finally, their lawyers, who had cost them an outrageous fee of $50,000, finally got an appellate court to order a new trial. It was even decided that they should be tried in Boone County, a hundred miles southeast. By this time, the civil officials may have begun to doubt that the prophet and his associates could be actually convicted of any crime. In any event, it is now known that the sheriff and guards assigned to transport the Mormon leaders to Boone County were set up so as to allow the Mormons to escape. They sold two horses to the Mormons, and then the sheriff told them that he and his deputies were going to get gloriously drunk, and after they fell asleep, the prophet and his associates set out for Illinois. This is described in the History of the Church, Volume 3, page 321. Once they had escaped, it took about ten days to reach Quincy, Illinois, and there they were united at last with their families. Meanwhile, the sheriff, who allowed Joseph and his companions to get away, returned home. No doubt he and his deputies expected a reprimand, but the mob was so furious with the sheriff that they rode him on a rail, and he was injured so badly that he died as a consequence. This is described in Grant's Kingdom of God Restored, page 248. Once Joseph arrived in Quincy, he learned that two men were willing to sell large sections of land to the church at fairly cheap prices. These lands were located on either side of the Mississippi River, some 50 miles north of Quincy. Within a short time, Joseph negotiated for this land with long-term notes and moved his family into one of the three log cabins at a town named Commerce. Joseph changed the name of this little community called Commerce to Nauvoo, meaning beautiful place. Now Joseph sought the further guidance of the Lord. 
It will be recalled that it was March 1839 when Joseph received Section 123. Now it was January 1841, around 22 months later. Undoubtedly, Joseph had been receiving communications directly from the Lord all along. Nevertheless, it has been 22 months since Joseph received a formal revelation from the Lord. And here is what the Lord had to say. Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offering and acknowledgments which you have made. For unto this end have I raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. It will be observed that every time the prophet Joseph becomes submerged in a crisis, the Lord lifts him up and denotes him as the brilliant leader for the next step in the building of the kingdom. No doubt Joseph had been acknowledging his inadequacies and the need for the Father's help so this great work could push forward. Your prayers are acceptable before me, and in answer to them I say unto you that you are now called immediately to make a solemn proclamation of my gospel and of this stake which I have planted to be a cornerstone of Zion, which shall be polished with the refinement which is after the similitude of a palace. Joseph had barely begun the settlement in Nauvoo, and already the Lord is calling it a stake. Furthermore, it is to be the cornerstone of Zion, meaning the new headquarters for the whole church. This proclamation shall be made to all the kings of the world, to the four corners thereof, to the honorable president-elect, and the high-minded governors of the nation in which you live and to all the nations of the earth scattered abroad. Let it be written in the spirit of meekness and by the power of the Holy Ghost, which shall be in you at the time of the writing of the same. For it shall be given you by the Holy Ghost to know my will concerning those kings and authorities, even what shall befall them in a time to come. From this new headquarters the Lord wants to send forth a mighty proclamation. He wants to send it to the newly elected United States president, the governors of the states, and the leaders of all nations throughout the world. It is to be written in a spirit of meekness according to the dictates of the Holy Ghost, which will be manifest to the prophet when he sits down to write it. For behold, I am about to call upon them to give heed to the light and glory of Zion, for the set time has come to favor her. But this verse carries a message from God that was most welcome to Joseph Smith. The Lord is going to favor the new Zion in Nauvoo in spite of all the travail through which the saints have just passed. Call ye therefore upon them with loud proclamation, and with your testimony, fearing them not, for they are as grass, and all their glory as the flower thereof which soon falleth, that they may be left also without excuse, and that I may visit them in the day of visitation, when I shall unveil the face of my covering, to appoint the portion of the oppressor among hypocrites, where there is gnashing of teeth, if they reject my servants, 
and my testimony which I have revealed unto them. The saints are to go forward with boldness and tell the world that God is restoring the gospel and the day of judgment is coming. And again, I will visit and soften their hearts, many of them for your good, that ye may find grace in their eyes, that they may come to the light of truth, and the Gentiles to the exaltation or lifting up of Zion. For the day of my visitation cometh speedily, in an hour when ye think not of. And where shall be the safety of my people, and refuge for those who shall be left of them? The Lord said there is going to be a great surge of conversions among the people, even the Gentiles. And after God's plague has passed over them, he will set up a refuge for his people. There will be a place of safety for those who want to survive the cleansing. Awake, O kings of the earth! Come ye, O come ye with your gold and your silver to the help of my people, to the house of the daughters of Zion. The building of God's great Zion will require the wealth of the righteous converts. This means that the people of means can have a very substantial part in the growth of Zion now as it begins to expand. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant Robert B. Thompson help you to write this proclamation, for I am well pleased with him, and that he should be with you. Let him therefore hearken to your counsel, and I will bless him with a multiplicity of blessings. Let him be faithful and true in all things from henceforth, and he shall be great in mine eyes. But let him remember that his stewardship will I require at his hands. The Lord pronounces great blessings on Robert B. Thompson, but the Lord reminds him that his stewardship will be required at his hand. Elder Thompson migrated from England to Canada and made many converts before taking up residence in Nauvoo. He became associate editor of the Times and Seasons, but died suddenly at the age of 29 from the fever which was sweeping along the swampy river front. At the time he was serving as scribe to the prophet. He was also a very close companion of Don Carlos, the younger brother of Joseph. Robert and Don Carlos died within two weeks of each other, both from the same affliction. And again, verily I say unto you, Blessed is my servant Hiram Smith, for I, the Lord, love him because of the integrity of his heart. And because he loveth that which is right before me, saith the Lord. The Lord praises Hiram Smith because of the integrity of his heart. Hiram will be a mighty soldier for the Lord, although he only has three more years to live and will become a martyr along with the prophet Joseph in 1844. Again, let my servant John C. Bennett help you in your labor in sending my word to the kings and people of the earth, and stand by you, even you, my servant Joseph Smith, in the hour of affliction, and his reward shall not fail if he receive counsel. And for his love he shall be great, for he shall be mine if he do this, saith the Lord. I have seen the work which he hath done, which I accept if he continue, 
and will crown him with blessings and great glory. The Lord has a word to say about John C. Bennett. He had many talents and showed great promise. He was a physician, a university professor, and a brigadier general. Nevertheless, he turned out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing and a servant of Satan. The Lord said he would not fall if he listened to counsel, but he didn't heed the warnings of the Lord and ended up a rank apostate. And again, I say unto you that it is my will that my servant Lyman White should continue in preaching for Zion in the spirit of meekness, confessing me before the world, and I will bear him up as on eagles' wings, and he shall beget glory and honor to himself and unto my name. The Lord makes reference to Lyman White, who was a distinguished leader at Adamondi Amon during the Missouri persecution. Had he remained faithful, the Lord promised to bury him up as though it were on eagles' wings. That when he shall finish his work, I may receive him unto myself, even as I did my servant David Patton, who is with me at this time, and also my servant Edward Partridge, and also my aged servant Joseph Smith, Sr., who sitteth with Abraham at his right hand. And blessed and holy is he, for he is mine. The supreme reward for the faithful is to be with the Savior in his heavenly mansions. Apostle Patton, who was killed at the Battle of Crooked River, is with the Savior. And the same is true of Edward Partridge, the first presiding bishop of the church. The Lord also honors the prophet's father, Joseph Smith, Sr., who was the first patriarch of the church and who had died as a direct consequence of the hardships he had suffered while trying to escape from Missouri. And again, verily I say unto you, my servant George Miller is without guile. He may be trusted because of the integrity of his heart. And for the love which he has to my testimony, I, the Lord, love him. I therefore say unto you, I seal upon his head the office of a bishopric, like unto my servant Edward Partridge, that he may receive the consecrations of mine house, that he may administer blessings upon the heads of the poor of my people, saith the Lord. Let no man despise my servant George, for he shall honor me. Here George Miller is selected as a new bishop because he is without guile. This is a supreme compliment because few men can be placed in a position of trust such as a bishop without being tempted to somehow turn it to their personal advantage. Let my servant George and my servant Lyman and my servant John Snyder and others build a house unto my name, such a one as my servant Joseph shall show unto them upon the place which he shall show unto them also. And it shall be for a house for boarding, a house that strangers may come from afar to lodge therein. Therefore let it be a good house, worthy of all acceptation, that the weary traveler may find health and safety while he shall contemplate the word of the Lord. And the cornerstone I have appointed for Zion. This house shall be a healthful habitation, if it be built unto my name. And if the governor, which shall be appointed unto it, shall not suffer any pollution to come upon it, 
it shall be holy, or the Lord your God will not dwell therein. In these three verses, the Lord introduced a new and interesting subject. He wants his servants to build an attractive and comfortable structure to entertain strangers. It became known as the Nauvoo House. Had circumstances been more favorable, it would have undoubtedly become the most handsome hotel in the West. And again verily I say unto you, Let all my saints come from afar, and send ye swift messengers, yea, chosen messengers, and say unto them, Come ye with all your gold and your silver and your precious stones and with all your antiquities, and with all who have knowledge of antiquities, that will come, may come, and bring the box tree and the fir tree and the pine tree, together with all the precious trees of the earth, and with iron, with copper, and with brass, and with zinc, and with all your precious things of the earth, and build a house to my name, for the Most High to dwell therein. The Lord now has some glorious news for Joseph. He begins talking about the building of another temple. This is the second time the Lord has asked for another temple since the temple was built in Kirtland. The saints in Missouri were asked by the Lord to build a temple, but when they failed to make the slightest effort to fulfill the commandment, they were driven from the state under the threat of extermination. For there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you, or which he hath taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. This is a very significant passage. The Lord laments that he has so many sacred things to be restored, and there is no appropriate place on earth where it can be accomplished. For a baptismal font there is not upon the earth that they, my saints, may be baptized for those who are dead. For this ordinance belongeth to my house, and cannot be acceptable to me only in the days of your poverty, wherein you are not able to build a house unto me. There isn't a baptismal font anywhere on earth for those who can perform ordinances for their loved ones who have died. Only in the days of abject poverty are the saints allowed to perform vicarious baptisms for the dead outside of a temple. But I command you, all ye my saints, to build a house unto me, and I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me, and during this time your baptisms shall be acceptable unto me. But behold, at the end of this appointment your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord your God. The Lord says that if the saints in Nauvoo do not build a temple within the time allotted, their work for the dead will be completely unacceptable to the Lord. Not only that, but the whole church will be rejected. The people had seen what happened in Missouri when the saints neglected to build a temple, and now it could happen again if the saints neglect the temple which is to be built in Nauvoo. For verily I say unto you, that after you have had sufficient time to build a house to me, wherein the ordinance of baptizing for the dead belongeth, 
and for which the same was instituted from before the foundation of the world. Your baptisms for your dead cannot be acceptable unto me. The Lord makes it very clear that the restored church is working under a deadline. It will either complete the temple in the time allotted, or the marvelous ordinances and blessings which have been held back until this dispensation will not be restored. For therein are the keys of the holy priesthood ordained, that you may receive honor and glory. It will be in the temple in these last days that the leaders of the church will receive a marvelous dispensation of keys relating to the holy priesthood, but they can only be restored after the temple is completed. The Kirtland Temple was not designed for all these blessings. The Nauvoo Temple will be specifically designed to receive the fullness of the priesthood blessings and all the keys and ordinances thereof. And after this time, your baptisms for the dead by those who are scattered abroad, are not acceptable unto me, saith the Lord. If through dilatory neglect the deadline for the completion of the temple is passed, the saints will no longer be allowed to send in the names of their deceased loved ones for vicarious ordinances. For it is ordained that in Zion, and in her stakes, and in Jerusalem, those places which I have appointed for refuge, shall be the places for your baptisms for your dead. It is interesting that it was foreordained that in Zion and in her stakes in Jerusalem, temples were to be raised up to which various ordinances for the dead could be performed. Today we have more than a hundred such temples, but none is yet in Jerusalem. And again verily I say unto you, How shall your washings be acceptable unto me? except ye perform them in a house which you have built to my name. Certain ordinances and ceremonies are specifically designed to be performed within the sacred walls of a temple. If the saints neglect to build that temple, those ordinances will no longer be acceptable to God. For for this cause I commanded Moses that he should build a tabernacle, that they should bear it with them in the wilderness, and to build a house in the land of promise, that those ordinances might be revealed which had been hid from before the world was. Now the Lord reveals a great secret. He says that Moses built his portable tabernacle just so these ordinances could be performed for the few who were worthy of the higher priesthood and the sacred endowment. All of Israel lost the higher priesthood because of the golden calf incident. Only those who were chosen to be prophets or serve in some other higher calling received the endowment. After the building of Solomon's temple, these sacred ordinances were performed in the upper rooms of that temple, which were lined with gold. This is discussed in my book, The Fourth Thousand Years After the Second Printing, pages 185 to 187. Therefore verily I say unto you, that your anointings, and your washings, and your baptisms for the dead, and your solemn assemblies, and your memorials for your sacrifices by the sons of Levi, and for your oracles in your most holy places wherein you receive conversations, and your statutes and judgments for the beginning of the revelations and foundation of Zion, and for the glory 
honor, and endowment of all her municipals are ordained by the ordinance of my holy house, which my people are always commanded to build unto my holy name. Notice that this verse refers to all the functions of a temple, including a special place wherein you can receive conversations. This is the Holy of Holies, where the Lord's servants have conversations with God. And verily I say unto you, Let this house be built unto my name, that I may reveal mine ordinances therein unto my people. For I deign to reveal unto my church things which have been kept hid from before the foundation of the world, things that pertain to the dispensation of the fullness of times. The great temple in the latter days will be the sacred place where God will reveal things which have been kept hidden from before the foundations of the world. In fact, the endowment itself is only designed to be performed in the secret and sacred precincts of the temple. And I will show unto my servant Joseph all things pertaining to this house, and the priesthood thereof, and the place whereon it shall be built. Here the Lord promises Joseph that he will be, quote, shown, unquote, visions of every detail of the new temple in Nauvoo. And ye shall build it on the place where you have contemplated building it, for that is the spot which I have chosen for you to build it. Joseph had tentatively chosen the highest place in the vicinity of Nauvoo for the temple. The Lord says this hill is acceptable to him. In fact, it was the place where the Lord was contemplating the building of the temple. As we all know, that original temple at Nauvoo was destroyed by the mobs when the saints were driven west. But today we are blessed to have a new temple, a replica of the original one and built in the very same spot. If ye labor with all your might, I will consecrate that spot that it shall be made holy. And if my people will hearken unto my voice, and unto the voice of my servants whom I have appointed to lead my people, behold, verily I say unto you, they shall not be moved out of their place. Now comes a conditional promise from the Lord. If the saints do not apostatize and conspire to kill the Lord's prophet, the church will not be moved from this place. This is a special promise to the saints and the setting up of Zion in Nauvoo. But tragically, some of the top leaders of the church did conspire to destroy the prophet and obliterated this promise so that after Joseph was killed, the saints were completely driven out of this region and ended up in the west. But if they will not hearken to my voice nor unto the voice of these men whom I have appointed. They shall not be blessed, because they pollute mine holy grounds, and mine holy ordinances, and charters, and my holy words which I give unto them. And it shall come to pass that if you build a house unto my name, and do not do the things that I say, I will not perform the oath which I make unto you, neither fulfill the promises which ye expect at my hand, saith the Lord. For instead of blessings, ye by your own works bring cursings, wrath, indignation, 
and judgments upon your own heads by your follies, and by all your abominations, which you practice before me, saith the Lord. It is almost impossible to comprehend how some of the foremost members of the church in Illinois would turn against the Lord and his prophet, so that the whole people would be compelled to flee once again to preserve their lives. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that when I give a commandment to any of the sons of men to do a work unto my name, and those sons of men go with all their might and with all they have to perform that work, and cease not their diligence, and their enemies come upon them and hinder them from performing that work, behold, it behooveth me to require that work no more at the hands of those sons of men, but to accept of their offerings, and the iniquity and transgression of my holy laws and commandments, I will visit upon the heads of those who hindered my work, unto the third and fourth generation, so long as they repent not and hate me, saith the Lord God. The second estate is a war between good and evil. Some day Satan will be bound, but not yet. Sometimes he succeeds in temporarily defeating some of the Savior's agenda by getting members of the church to apostatize and getting the enemies of the church to mobilize overwhelming forces of opposition. The Lord acknowledges that occasionally these forces of evil defeat an important goal of the Savior's agenda. Jesus explains how he takes these temporary satanical victories in stride, but exonerates those saints who did their best to make the Savior's agenda come to pass. And because Jesus knows in advance how Satan will try to get human beings to rebel against God, he always has a backup strategy which will achieve his righteous purposes in the end. It is interesting that the Lord ascribes a special reward to those who are faithful by accepting their offerings and blessing them for their earnest effort. But the blame for the failure of the Savior's announced goal is heaped on the heads of those who betrayed the will of the Lord. Upon the heads of these traitors it is like fire and brimstone. Therefore, for this cause... Have I accepted the offerings of those whom I commanded to build up a city and a house unto my name in Jackson County, Missouri, and were hindered by their enemies, saith the Lord your God? This explains why the righteous in Jackson County were defeated by the apostate members of the church who combined with the mobs to drive the saints out of Missouri. Nevertheless, the Lord wants the righteous to know that their suffering was not in vain nor will their righteous struggles and the things they endured go unrewarded. And I will answer judgment, wrath, and indignation, wailing and anguish and gnashing of teeth upon their heads, unto the third and fourth generation, so long as they repent not and hate me, saith the Lord your God. As for the wicked mobsters in Jackson County, the Lord has already seen the vision of their obliteration during the Civil War. Only the isolated chimneys will mark the remnants of their cities and towns. The Lord says their posterity will be cursed to the third and fourth generations unless they repent.
and this I make an example unto you, for your consolation concerning all those who have been commanded to do a work, and have been hindered by the hands of their enemies, and by oppression, saith the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God, and will save all those of your brethren who have been pure in heart, and have been slain in the land of Missouri, saith the Lord. This massive destruction of the wicked will be a consolation to those who suffered the abuses of the people in Jackson County and prevented the saints from building up God's Zion. And again, verily I say unto you, I command you again to build a house to my name, even in this place, that you may prove yourselves unto me that ye are faithful in all things whatsoever I command you, that I may bless you and crown you with honor, immortality, and eternal life. But in spite of the past, the Lord says he is now ready to have a temple built in Nauvoo. The Lord urges the people to perform this labor with great diligence and not allow dilatory neglect to rob them of the blessing which the Lord has in store for them. And now I say unto you, as pertaining to my boarding house, which I have commanded you to build for the boarding of strangers, let it be built unto my name, and let my name be named upon it. And let my servant Joseph and his house have place therein from generation to generation. For this anointing have I put upon his head, that his blessing shall also be put upon the head of his posterity after him. Jesus says that when the hotel is completed, the prophet and his family should have their residence there. And as I said unto Abraham, concerning the kindreds of the earth, even so I say unto my servant Joseph, In thee and in thy seed shall the kindred of the earth be blessed. Therefore, let my servant Joseph and his seed after him have place in that house from generation to generation, forever and ever, saith the Lord. And let the name of that house be called Nauvoo House, and let it be a delightful habitation for man, and a resting place for the weary traveler, that he may contemplate the glory of Zion, and the glory of this the cornerstone thereof, that he may receive also the counsel from those whom I have set to be as plants of renown, and as watchmen upon her walls. The Lord designated the name of the hotel, the Nauvoo House, and said it was to be used for prominent visitors to hear the story of the restoration and get acquainted with the glory of Zion. Behold, verily I say unto you, let my servant George Miller and my servant Lyman White and my servant John Snyder and my servant Peter Hawes organize themselves and appoint one of them to be a president over their quorum for the purpose of building that house. It is interesting that the Lord designates a presidency of three to preside over the construction of the Nauvoo House. And they shall form a constitution, whereby they may receive stock for the building of that house. It is also interesting that the Nauvoo House was to be a corporation with a constitution and an issue of stock. 
and they shall not receive less than fifty dollars for a share of stock in that house, and they shall be permitted to receive fifteen thousand dollars from any one man for stock in that house, but they shall not be permitted to receive over fifteen thousand dollars stock from any one man. No one person may purchase more than fifteen thousand dollars worth of stock and they shall not be permitted to receive under fifty dollars for a share of stock from any one man in that house. The price of the stock shall not be less than fifty dollars per share, and they shall not be permitted to receive any man as a stockholder in this house, except the same shall pay his stock into their hands at the time he receives stock and in proportion to the amount of stock he pays into their hands, he shall receive stock in that house. But if he pays nothing into their hands, he shall not receive any stock in that house. It is interesting that the Lord is approaching the building of this structure as a corporation, the issuing of stock, and other principles which are strictly enforced by the law. And if any pay stock into their hands, it shall be for stock in that house for himself and for his generation after him, from generation to generation, so long as he and his heirs shall hold that stock, and do not sell or convey the stock away out of their hands by their own free will and act, if you will do my will, saith the Lord your God. Any person buying stock will do so for himself and his posterity after him. And again, verily I say unto you, if my servant George Miller, and my servant Lyman White, and my servant John Snyder, and my servant Peter Hawes, receive any stock into their hands in monies, or in properties wherein they receive the real value of monies, they shall not appropriate any portion of that stock to any other purpose, only in that house. The presidency of the corporation shall not appropriate any money for any purpose other than the building of the Nauvoo house. And if they do appropriate any portion of that stock anywhere else, only in that house, without the consent of the stockholder, and do not repay fourfold for the stock which they appropriate anywhere else, only in that house. They shall be accursed, and shall be moved out of their place, saith the Lord God. For I, the Lord, am God, and cannot be mocked in any of these things. If any money is misappropriated, he must repay fourfold, or be excommunicated from the church. Verily I say unto you, Let my servant Joseph pay stock into their hands for the building of that house, as seemeth him good. But my servant Joseph cannot pay over fifteen thousand dollars stock in that house, nor under fifty dollars. Neither can any other man, saith the Lord. We note that the Lord does not make any exceptions for people because of their rank or status in the kingdom. For example, he indicates that Joseph must abide by the above regulations like anyone else. The Lord now gives instructions concerning Vincent Knight. 
and there are others also who wish to know my will concerning them, for they have asked it at my hands. Therefore I say unto you concerning my servant Vincent Knight, If he will do my will, let him put stock into that house for himself, and for his generation after him from generation to generation, and let him lift up his voice long and loud in the midst of the people, to plead the cause of the poor and the needy, and let him not fail, neither let his heart faint, and I will accept of his offerings, for they shall not be unto me as the offerings of Cain, for he shall be mine, saith the Lord. Let his family rejoice, and turn away their hearts from affliction, for I have chosen him and anointed him, and he shall be honored in the midst of his house, for I will forgive all his sins, saith the Lord. Amen. We now hear the word of the Lord concerning Hiram Smith. Verily I say unto you, Let my servant Hiram put stock into that house as seemeth him good, for himself and his generation after him, from generation to generation. In this section we hear the will of the Lord concerning Isaac Galland. This is followed by five verses expressing the will of the Lord concerning William Marks, Henry G. Sherwood, William Law, and Alman Babbitt. Let my servant Isaac Galland put stock into that house. For I, the Lord, love him for the work he hath done, and will forgive all his sins. Therefore, let him be remembered for an interest in that house from generation to generation. Let my servant Isaac Galland be appointed among you, and be ordained by my servant William Marks, and be blessed of him, to go with my servant Hiram to accomplish the work that my servant Joseph shall point out to them, and they shall be greatly blessed. Let my servant William Marks pay stock into that house as seemeth him good, for himself and his generation, from generation to generation. Let my servant Henry G. Sherwood pay stock into that house as seemeth him good, for himself and his seed after him, from generation to generation. Let my servant William Law pay stock into that house for himself and his seed after him, from generation to generation. If he will do my will, let him not take his family unto the eastern lands, even unto Kirtland. Nevertheless, I the Lord will build up Kirtland, but I the Lord have a scourge prepared for the inhabitants thereof. And with my servant Alman Babbitt, there are many things with which I am not pleased. Behold, he aspireth to establish his counsel instead of the counsel which I have ordained, even that of the presidency of my church. And he setteth up a golden calf for the worship of my people. Let no man go from this place who has come here as saying to keep my commandments. If they live here, let them live unto me. And if they die, let them die unto me. For they shall rest from all their labors here, and shall continue their works. Therefore let my servant William put his trust in me, 
and cease to fear concerning his family because of the sickness of the land. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and the sickness of the land shall redound to your glory. Let my servant William go and proclaim my everlasting gospel with a loud voice and with great joy, as he shall be moved upon by my spirit unto the inhabitants of Warsaw, and also unto the inhabitants of Carthage, and also unto the inhabitants of Burlington, and also unto the inhabitants of Madison, and await patiently and diligently for further instructions at my general conference, saith the Lord. If he will do my will, let him from henceforth hearken to the counsel of my servant Joseph, and with his interest support the cause of the poor, and publish the new translation of my holy word unto the inhabitants of the earth. And if he will do this, I will bless him with a multiplicity of blessings, that he shall not be forsaken, nor his seed be found begging bread. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant William be appointed, ordained, and anointed, as counselor unto my servant Joseph, in the room of my servant Hiram, that my servant Hiram may take the office of priesthood and patriarch, which was appointed unto him by his father, by blessing and also by right, that from henceforth he shall hold the keys of the patriarchal blessings upon the heads of all my people, that whoever he blesses shall be blessed, and whoever he curses shall be cursed, that whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And from this time forth I appoint unto him that he may be a prophet and a seer and a revelator unto my church as well as my servant Joseph, that he may act in concert also with my servant Joseph, and that he shall receive counsel from my servant Joseph, who shall show unto him the keys whereby he may ask and receive and be crowned with the same blessing and glory and honor and priesthood and gifts of the priesthood that once were put upon him that was my servant Oliver Cowdery, that my servant Hiram may bear record of the things which I shall show unto him, that his name may be had in honorable remembrance from generation to generation, forever and ever. Let my servant William Law also receive the keys by which he may ask and receive blessings. Let him be humble before me, and be without guile, and he shall receive of my spirit even the Comforter, which shall manifest unto him the truth of all things, and shall give him in the very hour what he shall say. And these signs shall follow him. He shall heal the sick, he shall cast out devils, and shall be delivered from those who would administer unto him deadly poison. And he shall be led in paths where the poisonous serpent cannot lay hold upon his heel and he shall mount up in the imagination of his thoughts as upon eagles' wings. 
Those who know the history of William Law may be surprised with this next verse. The Lord states that he wants William Law to be the new patriarch of the church, and if he is faithful, he will rise up in the inspired imaginations of his heart as upon the wings of eagles. Unfortunately, circumstances would not permit this to come to pass. And what if I will that he should raise the dead? Let him not withhold his voice. The Lord even says that if he has a desire to raise up the dead, he should not hesitate to do so. Therefore let my servant William cry aloud and spare not with joy and rejoicing and with hosannas to him that sitteth upon the throne forever and ever, saith the Lord your God. Behold, I say unto you, I have a mission in store for my servant William and my servant Hiram and for them alone. And let my servant Joseph tarry at home, for he is needed. The remainder I will show unto you hereafter. Even so. Amen. For the immediate future, the Lord has a great mission for William Law and Hiram Smith. They are to go into the surrounding region and proclaim the joyous message of the gospel. Joseph, meanwhile, will be needed to manage the affairs of the church in Nauvoo. Now, this has been a long revelation, but the Lord says he isn't through. He says this revelation will be interrupted at this point, and the remainder will be given hereafter. And again, verily I say unto you, If my servant Sidney will serve me and be counselor unto my servant Joseph, let him arise and come up and stand in the office of his calling and humble himself before me. But the Lord does want to add an addendum to this revelation. Sidney Rigdon has not yet come up to Nauvoo from Quincy and seemed reluctant to do so. In this verse, the Lord admonishes Sidney and tells him to come up and serve as the prophet's counselor, which is his calling. Now a historical note. While in the Liberty Jail, Sidney Rigdon suffered from brain tumor and boasted that even the Savior hadn't suffered as much as he had, he continued in a dark mood, and a few months after Section 124 was given, Sidney's daughter Eliza died. But then she returned to life, and said she had a message from the Lord for each member of the family. She told her sister Nancy to repent of her apostasy, or she would suffer the agonies of hell. She told her father, Sidney Rigdon, that he would not recover from his present illness unless he ceased weeping over her and stood firm in the gospel. For a while, Sidney Rigdon stood up for the prophet, but gradually he weakened again. After Joseph's death, he wanted to be the president of the church, but the mantle fell on Brigham Young. This is taken from the writings of Dr. Jodal in his commentary on the Doctrine and Covenants, page 973. And if he will offer unto me an acceptable offering and acknowledgments, and remain with my people, behold, I, the Lord your God, will heal him that he shall be healed." and he shall lift up his voice again on the mountains, and be a spokesman before my face. Let him come and locate his family in the neighborhood in which my servant Joseph resides. And in all his journeyings let him lift up his voice as with the sound of a trump, and warn the inhabitants of the earth 
to flee the wrath to come. In these verses, the Savior makes it very clear what Sidney Rigdon must do to regain the favor of the Lord. He is to reside near the prophet. Let him assist my servant Joseph, and also let my servant William Law assist my servant Joseph in making a solemn proclamation unto the kings of the earth, even as I have before said unto you. Sidney is to assist Joseph in his role as counselor. William Law is also to assist Joseph in circulating the solemn proclamation which is in this section. If my servant Sidney will do my will, let him not remove his family unto the eastern lands, but let him change their habitation, even as I have said. Sidney was tempted to abandon the rather rugged life in Nauvoo and go back east where conditions were more comfortable. The Lord warns him not to do this. Behold, it is not my will that he shall seek to find safety and refuge out of the city which I have appointed unto you, even the city of Nauvoo. He also warns Sidney not to remain outside of Nauvoo on the assumption that he will be safer there. The Lord wants him to stay in the city of Nauvoo if he is to be protected. Verily I say unto you, even now, if he will hearken unto my voice, it shall be well with him. Even so. Amen. Sidney did not follow this counsel, but eventually moved back east. Had he been loyal to Joseph, he might well have been a witness to Joseph's assassination in Carthage jail. At this point, the Lord terminates his addendum to Sidney Rigdon and says, Amen. And again, verily I say unto you, let my servant Amos Davies pay stock into the hands of those whom I have appointed to build a house for boarding, even the Nauvoo house. This is the will of the Lord concerning Amos Davies. This let him do, if he will have an interest, and let him hearken unto the counsel of my servant Joseph, and labor with his own hands, that he may obtain the confidence of men. And when he shall prove himself faithful in all things, that shall be entrusted unto his care, yea, even a few things, he shall be made ruler over many. Let him therefore abase himself, that he may be exalted. Even so. Amen. He is to humble himself and labor with his own hands in order to gain the confidence of his brethren. Then the Lord once more says, Amen, which means this is all the Lord has to say to Amos Davis at this time. But apparently Amos Davis was a great tribulation to Joseph. On March the 9th, 1842, he used such abusive language against Joseph that he had to be ordered by the court to keep the peace. This is in the History of the Church, Volume 4, page 549. And again, verily I say unto you, if my servant Robert D. Foster will obey my voice, let him build a house for my servant Joseph, according to the contract which he has made with him, as the door shall be opened to him from time to time. And let him repent of all his folly, and clothe himself with charity, and cease to do evil, and lay aside all his hard speeches, and pay stock also into the hands of the quorum of the Nauvoo house, for himself and for his generation after him, from generation to generation. 
and hearken unto the counsel of my servants Joseph, and Hiram, and William Law, and unto the authorities which I have called to lay the foundation of Zion. And it shall be well with him for ever and ever. Even so. Amen. This is the will of the Lord concerning Robert D. Foster. Apparently he had agreed to build a house for Joseph while the Nauvoo house was under construction. The Lord admonished Foster to fulfill his contract. He also encouraged him to invest in the stock of the Nauvoo house. However, Foster turned out to be a poor investment. He became antagonistic toward the prophet and was among the crowd who murdered him. He was tormented for it all the rest of his life. And again, verily I say unto you, let no man pay stock to the quorum of the Nauvoo house, unless he shall be a believer in the Book of Mormon, and the revelations I have given unto you, saith the Lord your God. For that which is more or less than this cometh of evil, and shall be attended with cursings and not blessings, saith the Lord your God. Even so, amen. And again, verily I say unto you, Let the quorum of the Nauvoo house have a just recompense of wages for all their labors which they do in building the Nauvoo house. And let their wages be, as shall be agreed among themselves, as pertaining to the price thereof. And let every man who pays stock bear his proportion of their wages, if it must needs be, for their support, saith the Lord. Otherwise, their labors shall be accounted unto them for stock in that house. Even so. Amen. The Lord wanted the workers on the Nauvoo house to be paid regular wages, and these were to be paid by the stockholders. Once more the Lord interrupts this revelation with a firm Amen. Verily I say unto you, I now give unto you the officers belonging to my priesthood, that ye may hold the keys thereof, even the priesthood which is after the order of Melchizedek, which is after the order of mine only begotten Son. At this point the Lord sets up all the priesthood quorums. The church membership had been severely shaken during the evacuation from Missouri. Therefore this confirmation of the offices in each quorum helped to stabilize the church. First, I give unto you Hiram Smith to be a patriarch unto you, to hold the sealing blessings of my church, even the Holy Spirit of promise, whereby ye are sealed up unto the day of redemption, that ye may not fall, notwithstanding the hour of temptation that may come upon you. The Lord said Hiram Smith was the head of the patriarchal priesthood, and said he held the sealing powers as head of the patriarchs. He could also seal up those who were ready for their second anointing. This consisted of a revelation that this particular individual would endure to the end and receive his reward in the celestial kingdom. I give unto you my servant Joseph to be a presiding elder over all my church, to be a translator, a revelator, a seer, and prophet. The prophet Joseph is designated as prophet, seer, and revelator, and translator for the church. I give unto him for counselors my servant Sidney Rigdon and my servant William Law. 
that these may constitute a quorum and first presidency to receive the oracles for the whole church. The Lord indicated Sidney Rigdon and William Law as Joseph's counselors. The Lord knew these two men were scheduled for a fall, but he sustained them in their high positions as members of the first presidency until they actually apostatized and fell. I give unto you my servant Brigham Young to be a president over the twelve traveling council. Since both David Whitmer and Thomas B. Marsh had been excommunicated, it left Brigham Young in the position as president of the Quorum of the Twelve, so there would be no question as to Brigham's authority in the sight of the Lord. He confirmed his presidency over the Quorum of the Twelve in this revelation. Which twelve? Hold the keys to open up the authority of my kingdom upon the four corners of the earth, and after that, to send my word to every creature. They are Heber C. Kimball, Parley P. Pratt, Orson Pratt, Orson Hyde, William Smith, John Taylor, John E. Page, Wilford Woodruff, Willard Richards, George A. Smith, the apostasy of certain apostles also left some confusion as to who was acceptable to the Lord and who was not. And in this verse, the Lord identifies those who are considered qualified members of the quorum. Orson Hyde had faltered in Missouri and signed an affidavit with Thomas B. Marsh, asserting that Joseph Smith was involved with the Danites. But he afterwards expressed bitter regret and was restored to the quorum of the Twelve. Thereafter, in 1841, he made his way to Jerusalem, living part of the time on snails, and dedicated that land for the return of the Jews. Johnny Page was supposed to have gone with him, but he failed to do so. He retained his membership in the Quorum until after the martyrdom, but gradually he became inactive, and in 1846 he was excommunicated. David Patton, I have taken unto myself... Behold, his priesthood no man taketh from him, but verily I say unto you, another may be appointed unto the same calling. In the days of Jesus, the apostles were allowed to die off without being replaced. However, the Lord said Apostle David Patton, who was killed at the Battle of Crooked River in Missouri, had been taken unto the Lord, and his place in the quorum should be filled by another. This was an important change in church procedure since the days of the Savior. And again I say unto you, I give unto you a high counsel for the cornerstone of Zion, namely, Samuel Bent, Henry G. Sherwood, George W. Harris, Charles C. Rich, Thomas Grover, Newell Knight, David Dort, Dunbar Wilson, Seymour Brunson I have taken unto myself, no man taketh his priesthood, but another may be appointed unto the same priesthood in his stead. And verily I say unto you, let my servant Aaron Johnson be ordained unto this calling in his stead, David Fulmer, Alpheus Cutler, William Huntington. The high council is described as the cornerstone of Zion, but the Lord is not talking about Zion in Missouri anymore. In verse 23, he speaks of the cornerstone of Zion being established in Nauvoo. 
But of course, the prophetic Zion, where the new Jerusalem will be established, is yet to be set up in Missouri. And the Lord verifies this in Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verses 1 to 4. And even though the saints were driven out of Missouri, the Lord said the prophetic Zion would not be moved out of her place. That's Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 17. Although the saints had been driven from the site which had been dedicated as the New Jerusalem, the Lord said in section 100, verse 13, the prophetic Zion would not be removed and would be rebuilt in Missouri. But that is all for the future. Meanwhile, the cornerstone of Zion is to be in Nauvoo. And again I give unto you Don C. Smith to be a president over a quorum of high priests. This verse refers to Don Carlos Smith, the youngest brother of Joseph. He had a brilliant career as a missionary, publisher of the Times and Seasons, and helped to minister to over 60 people suffering from malaria who were rapidly healed. In this verse, the Lord designates Don Carlos as the president of the High Priest Quorum in Nauvoo. Which ordinance is instituted for the purpose of qualifying those who shall be appointed standing presidents or servants over different stakes scattered abroad? And they may travel also if they choose, but rather be ordained for standing presidents. This is the office of their callings, saith the Lord your God. The council of the high priest is to be the standing presidents over wards and stakes. They can also travel and preside over missions in the field. I give unto him Amasa Lyman and Noah Packard for counselors, that they may preside over the quorum of high priests of my church, saith the Lord. The two counselors who will serve with Don Carlos are designated by the Lord as Amasa Lyman and Noah Packard. And again I say unto you, I give unto you John A. Hicks, Samuel Williams, and Jesse Baker, which priesthood is to preside over the quorum of elders, which quorum is instituted for standing ministers. Nevertheless, they may travel, yet they are ordained to be standing ministers to my church, saith the Lord. The quorum of elders are to serve as traveling missionaries or standing ministers in the wards and branches of the church. In Nauvoo, the presidency of the elders' quorum is to be John A. Hicks, Samuel Williams, and Jesse Baker. And again I give unto you Joseph Young, Josiah Butterfield, Daniel Miles, Henry Harriman, Zira Pulsifer, Levi Hancock, James Foster, to preside over the Quorum of Seventies. In this verse we have the seven presidents who will preside over the first Quorum of Seventy. Which Quorum is instituted for traveling elders to bear record of my name in all the world? Wherever the traveling High Council, mine apostles, shall send them to prepare a way before my face. The Seventies are to be traveling elders assigned to missionary work. They are to assist the apostles in opening the missions and spreading the gospel throughout the world. The difference between this quorum and the quorum of elders is that one is to travel continually, and the other is to preside over the churches from time to time. The one has the responsibility of presiding from time to time, 
and the other has no responsibility of presiding, saith the Lord your God. The assignment of the 70s is not to preside over wards or stakes, but move about continually setting up branches of the church in various parts of the world. And again I say unto you, I give unto you Vincent Knight, Samuel H. Smith, and Shadrach Roundy, if he will receive it, to preside over the bishopric. A knowledge of said bishopric is given unto you in the book of Doctrine and Covenants. This verse sets up the presiding bishopric. And again I say unto you, Samuel Rolfe and his counselors for priests, and the president of the teachers and his counselors, and also the president of the deacons and his counselors, and also the president of the stake and his counselors. In this verse we have Samuel Ralph as president of the priests, but he is left free to choose his counselors. The president of the teachers and deacons are also free to choose their counselors. The above offices I have given unto you, and the keys thereof, for helps and for governments, for the work of the ministry and the perfecting of my saints. The elaborate arrangement of presiding officers throughout the church is for the orderly establishment of the ministry and for the perfecting of the members of the church. And a commandment I give unto you, that you should fill all these offices and approve of those names which I have mentioned, or else disapprove of them at my general conference. It is interesting that even though the Savior had nominated all of these officers, they were not fully functioning officers in the church until they had been presented for approval at the next general conference of the church. Sometimes the members of the church get a little bored with the presentation of the authorities without realizing that it takes only one person who has adverse knowledge concerning a particular nominee to suspend the voting on that individual until the objection can be heard by the authorities and a determination made as to whether or not a substitute should be presented. Today this election process is so carefully administered that it is very rare that an objection is raised. But in the early days of the church when the members were less qualified, there were occasional objections and that ye should prepare rooms for all these offices in my house, when you build it unto my name, saith the Lord your God. Even so, Amen. All of these levels of priesthood administration are to be represented in the temple when it is built. As a closing observation, it will be recalled that this revelation was given after 22 months had passed, without any formal revelations being recorded. Perhaps this was because the church was involved throughout this period with a continuous series of emergencies. Nevertheless, this revelation vividly demonstrated the need to get the will of the Lord from day to day, from week to week, and certainly from month to month. Think what an avalanche of revelation is contained in this single section. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.